0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. Hello from very cold and rainy,
1: typical April, Portland.
0: We also have Dan
1: Shapir. Hi, from a warm and sunny Tel Aviv. Uh, quit saying that. It makes me uh,
2: nervous. What can, can I, I do? It's, always,
0: it's almost <laughs> always warm and sunny in Tel Aviv.
1: Uh, I
0: know. I'm a Charles Max Wood from Top End Devs. It's also warm and sunny here in Utah, but by the end of the week, it won't be that anymore. Welcome to Utah weather. We have a special guest this week, and that is Thomas Randolph. Thomas, do you want to introduce yourself, let people know why you're famous?
3: Sure. As you said, my name is Thomas Randolph. I, uh, I'm not famous. Let's start with that. Um, yeah.
2: After this podcast, there'll be people clamoring for your autograph. <laughs>
3: That's right. You'll be infamous. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I would say my only my only real presence is kind of on Twitter. I, I interact casually with folks like Dan and, and other people. I work at GitLab, so uh-huh. you may have heard of heard of GitLab. I'm coming at you from uh, from Denver, where it's also kind of warm and sunny. Although, like Utah, the weather could change at any moment. So, yep, I'm expecting maybe to have snow even this this month. So who knows? Yeah, yeah we, we just already had, a had snow day snow here in Portland March. last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We sat
2: on here in Portland, closed all the schools and everything. You know, here they close if you get an eighth
1: of an inch, but it was a lot of snow for one day. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's another thing about Tel Aviv. It never snows in Tel Aviv. Actually, it did snow. i have told that it, it snowed once
0: in the 50s, but, you know, since then. Wow. <laughs> that's yeah. 70 years. <laughs> I remember when I lived in Italy, I was living in Tuscany and it snowed and people just didn't know what to do. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about TC39 stuff and uh, upcoming features for ECMAScript. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want. Right. So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com.
3: So I have a question. Um, I'm only academically familiar with with async generators. I've written one or two here and there. I, I can't say that I've used them sort of in a, in a production type scope. One of the things that I really like about observables is that they can be sort of a a push type wrapper around lots of different data sources. So for example, an observable could wrap around a, the the click behavior on a button in a page. And now you just have a stream of clicks coming out that you can subscribe to at any time. Is that something that you could also do with an async generator, So respond to like click type events? So
1: first of all, we, ha- we have an episode of JavaScript Jabber talking exactly about uh, synchronous uh, iterators generators. So if you want to learn more about that, <laughs> you yep. know, we can link yeah. to that That's as well. Wondering. But yep. so first, I can say this. First of all, I actually implemented an observable library that was uh, surprisingly complete using a surprisingly small amount of code because I just use synchronous iterators and generators on the inside. So you could, so they are equivalent in the sense that you can implement one based on the other. Uh, although I might say that the asynchronous iterators and generators are actually lower level uh, to an extent. I, they I agree, they yeah. do tend to have a more uh, imperative st- uh, a pr- style or approach to them. So it's kind of like if you compare a promise which is a, a, a thenable to an await. So you might say that the synchronous iterators and generators are more like await like a sync await yeah. and the observables are kind of more like promises in that regard and so that they, they espouse a more uh, functional do not, dot notation type of uh, of coding but yes there is definitely an overlap in terms of the functionality and you can achieve very similar results using either one or the other
3: it's interesting so uh, yeah I mean to our conversation earlier about like you know the the standard library is sort of would underpin so many great improvements you know maybe maybe it's it would be right to make observable something that you can import and then it would just build on the already existing async Mm -hmm. generators and you get a a couple of extra things and that's that's it i think that that's a perfectly fine approach to me and i think that that would unlock a certain architectural approach for some people like myself without having to bloat the language, which I think AJ would love. Like. I think that that's
1: a great idea, actually, that if if and when observables do get added to the language, then it really has to be as part of uh, the standard library rather than as a global, always available object that's
3: just yeah. a part of the language
1: core and that's it.
3: Yeah. And I, th- I mean, you might be, all of us might be getting the, the, the gist here of, of kind of, <laughs> the the approach, but I think most things should probably be in the standard library. I think it's, I think the language is pretty good, kind of as a core by itself. And there are things that are gonna, you know, ten percent of JavaScript uh, developers use this, and twenty percent use this. Those are those are perfect things to put in the standard library because it's it's gonna solve the a problem for ten percent of people or twenty percent of people, and it sh- it probably should be there.
0: Yep. Well, I agree with everything you guys said on that second point. I. I just wanted to chime in way back when and plus one the idea that if observables make it into the standard library or the language, that yeah, then we could just yeah, RxJS would then just be a library of operators. Right. Right. And right and that would just be super cool. So anyway. Well,
3: like or why or the, the standard library could even have a bunch of operators too. Yeah. Like if, if mm-hmm. RXJS is just providing maps and filters and reduces on a data stream, you could have uh, those operators come from a special standard library that's specifically for data streams. And yep. Man, RxJS can just go away, like which I think they would like. <laughs> and
1: again, you will see an, an, an overlap here with another proposal that's later on in your list, which is the uh, emitter proposal, which kind of bridges the gap. It kind of stands right in the middle Absolutely. between observables and and asynchronous iterators and generators. It kind of you Absolutely. might say that if I had that emitter library, which hopefully we'll get to and the synchronous iterators and generators then together i could really easily build an observable really in a few yes. lines of code yep. yeah anyway but moving to the next one on your list what would that be
3: the next one that i really am really excited about and this is this is one that that might be divisive but it's partial application and this is another stage one proposal, um, so who knows if it's even gonna progress, but it's, it's, the proposal, if you go read it, is extremely thorough. Obviously, someone has a lot of experience with this and has, has covered kind of all of the edge cases. But basically, this, is, this allows you to fix certain arguments to a function and by doing that it creates a new function that expects the rest of the arguments so this can kind of be you can kind of think of this as like uh, you know if i'm always passing one parameter to a function i can just create a new function with that parameter fixed and then expect the rest of them which is which is really useful when you are writing strongly Functional applications where everything is a function and the result is passed to another function and then the results are passed on.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, for those of uh, coming from functional backgrounds, it's effectively currying, I think. It's a, it's a term that's commonly it's very used. Very similar. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Curry- currying specifically breaks a function down into individual calls that all only take one parameter, which when it's when you only have one or two arguments that is a it's pretty easy right you if it's, say an add the 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 typical example is an add function takes two numbers and then it returns the result Well, you only want a function that takes one thing so the first function takes the first number and then it returns a function that takes the second number and then that function adds the two the two numbers yeah mm-hmm. that's curry yeah exactly
1: the because partial it's sort
3: of like if you have more than two arguments you want to just like fix one and then take the rest and that's what that's what partial application yeah mean.
1: It's interesting because, again, if we look at JavaScript, like you said, if we have an add function that takes uh, two parameters and I invoke invoke it with one, I've effectively invoked it with the second parameter being undefined, which is probably not what I want. But if I use a functional programming language like, I don't know, let's say Haskell, and I actually call a function with one parameter, what I get is a new function that just takes the other parameter. So I've not Actually, really invoke the function. I've just, you know, like you said, uh, a function with multiple parameters is like a sequence of functions with a single parameter. Right. I'm, again, really hesitant about this one. Well, first of all, uh, you know, obviously people who are listening will say bind and why do I even need this? And, and the, like you said, the proposal is pretty thorough and does explain why it, it, it's not like bind because you, you, like you said, you can control which parameters are replaced. It's not necessarily in order. And also you, uh, you can avoid dealing with the whole this thing and so forth. So, so there's certainly value in that regard. But my problem with it is that if you look at the spec, it reads like a whole lot of line noise. Like you have the, what's the name of this uh, wave character? It's, uh, I forget in English. It's the, tilde. the tilde. The tilde. And the question mark. And it introduces a whole lot of syntax into the language. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure that it makes, you know, it, all that stuff makes the language for me at least less readable now maybe if it gets accepted and widely used then familiarity will overcome that but it's people are going to struggle with this and and i have a problem with something like that it always feels like not javascript and and let's not forget Mm -hmm. that i can achieve everything that you know this can do i can do with, let's say, by using arrow functions. It's just more typing. I can wrap the function with an arrow function that calls the original function with some of the uh, parameters fixed in place. So it does, potentially, it reduces, it makes things less verbose, but that's not necessarily a good thing. So I'm really, really hesitant about this, again, especially because of all of the way to the of the extent to which it extends the language syntax,
0: mm-hmm. right?
3: I would note that it does. It, I agree that it, it's hard to read, or to, to my JavaScript lover eyes, it's hard to read. But it really is only introducing two new characters: the tilde and the question mark. And well, I mean, of course, the question mark already exists for ternaries and those types of things. But it's a different context, so it does look very weird. But it really is only. Two new kind of uh, syntax changes, and to your point about the arrow functions, I agree that for the most part you can do this with arrow functions being more verbose. In the proposal, he does note that arrow functions. So I'm, I'm just going to quote uh, from the proposal here: Arrow functions lazily re-evaluate their bodies, which can introduce unintended side effects. Now, I am not familiar enough with the exact implementation of how arrow functions work to understand what that's saying but it sounds like by by nesting arrow functions to to get this this uh, partial application it sounds like you, arrow function bodies continually get reevaluated or can be reevaluated which could lead to issues where you just want to do it once do it the first time Again, I, I I don't know the I don't know the exact context of that problem, but there is an issue there.
1: It has I to do it has to do with it, it has
3: to do with closures.
1: The fact that you know is the engine smart enough to recognize that a particular arrow function is or is not dependent on variables specified within its closure. And if if it's not, then just do it once. React actually has some wrappers for these sort of things, like uh, use uh, ref or stuff like that, that are try, try to minimize or mitigate or reduce the number of times that uh, an arrow function m- might need to be created. So again, I, I can appreciate that. It's just that let's put it this way: I. I've, li- I've been using JavaScript for this long without this capability, and it seems to me that I'll be able to continue using JavaScript without it. It's not like, you know, with Temporal, where it's addressing a really painful issue for me or Big Int that you literally could not do uh, currency applications in JavaScript because you had issues with numbers. You had to have, like, really right. sophisticated libraries in, to- in order to overcome it. Uh, This one is not solving such a huge pain point, but on the other hand, it needs to really change the language syntax. If anything, it kind of reminds me of one suggestion that I didn't see, one proposal that I didn't see on your list that I I was kind of surprised that you didn't put in. Which also hey, I, there's so many of them I might miss. Yeah, which, which miss also it. touches on the language syntax, but if anything seems more needed to me, and that's the one about records and tuples. So if I and even there I'm kind of hesitant because of the changes that are made to the syntax of the language. So so that's that's a real sticking point for me. It's it's I'm not sure it's needed enough. And the cost of having to extend the language syntax
3: in order to support it is pretty severe to me. Let's put it this way, yeah, that's fair. that's fair and and like you're right that like I have only wanted this a handful of times, a few times. It's messy to do yourself in in you know in user land in what in in our own code, so it would solve that mess but but you're right that the the change to the language is almost more trouble than it's worth and you know there's a reason this is number 6 on my list cuz you know it, it's it's kind of one of those things where it would be nice to have but if the opinions like yours prevail that would be totally fine too i think i think it's also okay to have a more minimal JavaScript.
1: i would be really surprised if this makes it into the language you know stranger things have happened <laughs> but, <laughs> but 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 uh, but to but to be honest i'd be really surprised sure. the, the next yeah. one mm-hmm. on your list that i see is is something that ha, is is much more likely to to make oh, it yeah. into the language than this one. Let's put it this yeah. way.
3: I did want to note one thing, and I don't, I I haven't actually experienced this myself, so who knows if it's a really compelling use case. But partial partial application as part of the language would also allow partially applied constructors. So a, a function or or a oh, constructor thing. can can also be partially applied. So partially applying the constructor would return a function that then. Uses the rest of the of the initialization values for a constructor, which I think is that might be a kind of an interesting use case too. That may not be as easy uh, as like you know an arrow function that's it's kind of an interesting use case that, that I could that I could see people wanting to use a lot like oh you know in, in my in my application I'm always going to construct this error class or whatever but it always has to have these two parameters fixed and then the rest will be up to the application that's that's kind of an interesting use case to like construct objects out of it but yep so the next one that I've got on my list is uuid and this is kind of a, a little surprise one because uh, this was a, T- a tc 39 proposal but it has since been moved out it's no longer part it's no longer going to be a part of the javascript language and i think that's a good decision because if you anyone's not aware uuid stands for universally unique identifier it's a it's a random string of characters that generally speaking you can expect to be unique in all the other imp, all the other generated versions of that string this is something that a lot of people use, even if you don't know it, probably some system is mm-hmm. probably generating a UUID for a record or your user or just something has this, has this attached to it because it's a unique string that you can use kind of anywhere. Um, it's it's it particularly came to prominence, I would say, in like a NoSQL environment where you're just always inserting documents, and it needs to be like write safe and then distributed across multiple instances of your of your NoSQL database. Mm -hmm. So you can't have an auto incrementing number; you need to have just a string identifier. Um, But of course, it's useful for so many more things than
0: that. Yeah, the other thing that I see it used for often, even in SQL, where you know you'll have a sequential insert and things like that, right? Is that if you have a sequential ID that is used in your code, then it's guessable. You have a guessable reference to objects you may not have permission to access. And so, yes, it's, it's an obscuring mechanism rather than a security mechanism per se. But it does make it harder for people who with malicious intent to do things that you don't want them to do and Absolutely. so it's become popular there too
1: and here's yep. what i have to say i would love for this type of functionality to be part of a standard library i think Boom. i think yes i think it's <laughs> there are two issues first of all it's so common that having it always be available will just make life a whole lot easier. But even more significantly, I've seen so many bad implementations of it. Mm-hmm. So people basically, you know, they they need it, so they, they they search, they all find the same solution on Stack Overflow, which I think is like the mm-hmm. highest voted answer in the history of Stack Overflow, something like that. <laughs> and it's it's nice enough, but, you know, it uses Math Random, which isn't you know, that random, so if you're right. looking for a truly unique identifier, this probably isn't the implementation that you want to be using, and if, if being unique is truly important and not just you know a nice, uh, nice to have. And actually, I looked at the proposal and it actually literally said that it needs to be part of something, but they're not sure where and maybe is part of a standard library, and that's exactly what I think should happen.
3: Yeah, I agree. So it's actually been moved out to the W3C or the 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 web incubator web web incubator community group which is they're the ones who kind of vet ideas to go into the web platform. And it's it's being actively worked on and implemented in some cases by the browsers themselves as part of the crypto interface, which makes mm-hmm. sense because the the crypto interface already gives you the abilities to generate Mm, random numbers we'll call them random numbers pseudo random numbers uh random values right from bytes rather than like math.random that's which isn't random enough and that's what you need to create the the randomness required for a string like this so the implementation is going in right alongside the other crypto cryptography stuff as part of the api provided for random values which isn't, it isn't the standard library that we would want, but it is provided by the VMs. So it's not part, it won't be part of JavaScript, but it will be part of the browser environment or the node runtime or whatever it is that you use.
1: Yeah. So just by to, just good. to make the point distinct though, it's not being provided by the VM, it's being provided by the environment in which the VM is ex- is running.
3: Yes, that's correct. Good. Yes. Excellent okay. clarification. Yeah. 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 Cool, And this will be a V4, right, which is the one that everyone uses. Of course, people want more versions sometimes if you if your company wants to namespace yours. But this is going to solve the problem for most people. I think in the, in their, the proposal, they say, oh, this is, you know, the, the UUID package is downloaded from NPM 14 million times a week or something like that, mm-hmm. which is, so it's like, this is a problem that we should solve. <laughs> yep. So the next one on my list is one that I think Dan has talked about at length. <laughs> I am, <laughs> yes, I have. I I have just well, that well, narrows
0: well, it down to <laughs> a long list of things. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> tend to talk about a lot right. of things.
3: <laughs> so this one, it's I think I, I sort of classified it in a similar vein as, as partial application. It's, it's, it's a syntax change that allows kind of more functional programming, and it's the pipeline operator. And this basically allows consecutive operations to not be gross, <laughs> which is kind of the simple way to put it. Like mm-hmm. if you if you've ever you know I, I need to take the output from this function and pass it to this function, and then I need to take the output from that function and. and pass it to the next function, you've got this long chain of functions that are all nested and and the, it reads in reverse so you've got to read from like the right side back left to see what's happening. And pipeline, the pipeline operator, which the proposal is just to use a vertical bar and then the the right facing carrot to just kind of reverse the order. So the left-hand side expression is evaluated and passed to the right-hand side expression. So you can, you can sort of chain functions together uh, without having to nest them. So here's a funny
1: story about it. So I I wrote a a while back, I wrote a blog post that's actually on the Wix engineering blog site because I was at Wix when I wrote it. And I implemented a library that used iterators and generators to form with iteration methods or iteration algorithms. So instead of using chaining, like to do a map and then filter, I used iterators and generators and used the pipe operator and it has all sorts of benefits and I won't go into them now and I explain them in the blog post and we'll link to that and people can read it and I think it's a nice blog post. And I got a lot of really positive responses, but they were all along the lines of great library, we love what you did, why are you using this disgusting pipeline operator? (laughs) So so a lot of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so somebody so yeah so so people were really happy with the concept but were really annoyed with the, with the fact that I I used the pipeline operator to kind of implement it and, and And I get it, and it kind of goes to, to the same points that I made about the partial application about the fact that you're introducing significant new syntax uh, into the language, and anybody who's you know coming into the language from, from a, a regular JavaScript developers might be really perplexed and surprised by expressions that use the pipe operator and yeah. But like you said, I, I did see the benefits, the fact that it can make it much easier to read because you're just passing the value from left to right instead of, like you said, uh, creating these messy uh, function invocation expressions. But since yeah. then, I've written another blog post where I explained why I actually recanted and why I now think that this operator isn't actually needed And the reason that I showed was that you can actually create like a pipe function that serves a really similar purpose to the pipe operator. So you can achieve a really similar effect. Now, it has been shown to me that this is not exactly one-to-one and there are definitely scenarios where the pipe operator has advantages, but they're not that significant. So if I can use a function instead of having to introduce another operator and change the language syntax, then my tendency would be to make to avoid the, the big change to the language. So from being a pipeline operator proponent, I've since become somebody who's really wary and potentially opposed, you might say, to this operator because, as I said, I don't think that in and of itself it provides enough value that it merits that change to to the syntax. And and again, that feedback that I got from so many people just didn't like that syntax. And again, when we look at the next, uh, and one of the next proposals that you have on the list, the emitter proposal, they actually, the, the the function there that they call run, which in my library I called pipe, effectively achieves yeah. exactly this behavior. So it exactly yeah. shows how you can achieve this type of, of behavior without having to introduce uh, a new operator into the language. And there's also another thing about the pipeline operator, which is the fact that they, they, there are two possible syntaxes there. There's one approach which is called hack pipes. Is it the hack? Yeah. And there's yep. another approach which is called F sharp pipes or unary pipes. And, you know, it's kind of undecided. You know, the people who've made a proposal prefer the hack pipes, but it's not really been decided. And, and it's been stuck at level two for a very long time. So, like you said right. about another proposal that's, that's more or less stagnant, it kind of, significantly reduces the likelihood that it will actually ever be included into the language. Yep. But, you know, if people do want to play with it, then um, I think there's like a plugin for Babel that you can use to add this functionality. So if people, you know, want to try it out and see how it works, it's very easy to check.
3: Yep. And in fact, many of the examples on the proposal use the implementations from many libraries. I mean, even Underscore has its own sort of its its own like piping sort of library to to move through objects, but I want to I want to go back and and say you know everyone you heard it here first on the JavaScript Jabber podcast Dan Shapiro is against pipelines, no
0: pipelines <laughs> from from Dan Shapir. you lost my vote Dan I'm voting for somebody else <laughs> Hi this is Charles Max Wood from Top End Devs and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one-hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Uh, so the place that I've seen this is in Elixir, which is a yep, functional yep. programming language. And the pipeline operator that you described is exactly what they use over there. And so. And it's it's a very powerful and helpful feature in Elixir and is used all over the place when you're writing code there. The thing that makes it really powerful, though, is that Elixir functions off of pattern matching. And so when you pass something out of one function, it will pattern match against it in the next function. Hmm. And so you get some really, really powerful interplay transforming inputs and outputs to yeah. get what you need at the end. And so... That's where I've seen it used to great effect, and that's what makes me kind of excited to possibly see it in JavaScript.
1: Yeah, yeah but that's the but, thing, yeah. and and again, I'm going to paraphrase uh, AJ here. And, and by the way, this <laughs> this is also available in other functional languages like like F Sharp. Yes. But just because it's great in lang in one language doesn't mean that it True. that it has to be that it'll be great in another language, and and those languages have a particular style to them, <laughs> and. JavaScript does not need to be uh, an aggregation of all possible programming languages and programming
0: paradigms that are out there. Right. Yeah, but it already is. That's what they did in (laughs) ESS. I mean, um... (coughs) did I just say that out loud? I'm sorry. Yeah,
3: there is something to be said for, you know, JavaScript so far has sort of tried to be for everyone. Um, Yes. There's a lot of influence from, from Rails or Ruby. There's a lot of influence influence from from the C-sharp community there's a lot of influence mm-hmm. from various other languages and in my opinion I'll expose my prior my prior bias here I think that it should be, sort of it should be JavaScript it should be its own thing mm-hmm. um, I, I really like that it has a dynamic prototype based sort of sort of feature I really like that it's it really it can encourage if you use it a certain way it can encourage functional programming and that's why you'll see you know if you look if you look at the cohesiveness of my list it's mostly functional stuff it's mostly things that enable that um, and that's what I think we should lean into now to Dan's point It doesn't have to be that. We could lean the other way or we'd lean no way. And if we're leaning no way, then yeah, we probably shouldn't be putting in these little things that can be done. you know, uh, we've talked about like various libraries that have implemented their own pipe or emitter has their run function or all sorts of things. I've also built my own pipe function and you're right. It's like, it's a few lines of code, it's maybe 10. Ten lines of code or something, and and like that's that maybe is its is the biggest strike against adding this to the language. Um, if it can be done so easily, yeah, why just import should we it. Make new syntax for it, but hey, standard library. Put it in the standard library. Be like, this is this is the way you pipe things to each other, and
0: like that's a perfect use case. I would import it like eight times to make it eight times as cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about emitters.
1: Uh, actually, we have one before, right. which is module block. So, we, oh, we do. Yeah, so we have like two okay. items. This is yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this will come out as two, one episode or two. This if one, this is definitely going to be one of the longer ones. But yeah, we have two, two. We're
0: creeping toward two, but yeah,
1: yeah. So we've got two items in the list, and I might throw in a third one if if
3: we have time. Let's. <gasps> we can. <laughs> Dan here. <you're... laughs> You're taking over um we can go through these quickly i mean as we noted earlier this is this is in order of my preference from top to bottom Mm -hmm. so we're getting down here to numbers nine and ten and this is open for discussion i i'm i'm not really i don't feel super strongly about these at all but the first one is module blocks which is a stage two so it's already been it's already been sort of moved up in the priority of like we expect this probably to make it but who knows what's actually going to look like this basically allows you to create modules sort of in line. You can just using the module keyword, create a module and you can import it. Import it using you can only use the dynamic import in that case, obviously, because there's no file reference to to import a module from. But it, it this kind of would Enable features that developers sort of are are avoiding right now. So things like web workers—they're hard because they have to be in a separate file and they're and they're compiled elsewhere. And that's one of the main use cases and one of the main pain points for web web workers. People say I don't I don't want to have this other file that's like this separate JavaScript thing. And inline block modules would uh, kind of allow you to say this chunk of code in the same file is a worker over here, and you can just and you can run it that way. Um, and it also has some improvements for. Like you know, our bundlers these days—the whole job of a bundler is to take all these different files and make them one file, or make them a few small files. And this would just be part of language. Uh, you can you can have a module block that is that is in the same file and is a separate module. It's
1: interesting that one Easy of the tab- proponents of of this proposal is Surma, who's actually been on this uh, on this podcast yeah. and is mm-hmm. really well known. For uh, the work that he's been doing with uh, workers, uh, like I forget the name of yeah. the library that he created, the, the one that ma- makes it possible to invoke function uh, uh, code in workers uh, like like a like a regular function call, uh, passing parameters mm. instead of using post message. You know the named ex- mm. name. That's excellent. Uh, so that's and amazing. that's yeah. and that's kind of, and that kind of goes to why he proposes this because he wants yep. to be able. This really enables you to uh, embed the code inside your the same uh, function uh, the same file, and then instead of executing it as a, a function call, execute it in a worker and invoke it as if it was a function. So it's not surprising yeah. that Surma is, is one of the proponents, and and I actually like like this one. I would really like to see this uh, part as part of the language.
3: Yeah. Is that library that you're talking about called Parallel?
1: No, uh, I'll find it in a minute.
3: Okay. Yeah, this. I think the this the ability to to sort of segment code as as if there are other modules without having to actually create other files or interact with a file system or I mean forbid across the network, right? Like you don't want to load files from a, from a network source. Having modules in line is a really interesting kind of maturation of the I, the library is
1: called comlink by the way okay. it's it's a really small library that makes it possible to uh, invoke code in uh, inside a worker as if it's a function call so it basically just uh, Excellent. takes the parameters that you pass in and you know wraps them and then sends them across via post message and enables you to await for, for the results so so you can transform like the operation of code in a worker to seem as if it's a regular function called with uh, you know parameters and a return value and stuff like that it's really nice yeah. and it's fairly popular and again this yeah. this That's kind of highlights why this paradigm is useful because it it makes it really easy to be able to use something like that
3: yeah and that's that's one of those things where you know often when people talk about developer experience or the DX of something, I kind of think, well, that's kind of the least important thing that I want to worry about. I want to worry more about the the performance of it or uh what 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 new abilities does this unlock or how do users perceive this, but making web workers so much simpler to use with like one keyword with a single keyword, making web workers just like, "Oh boom, you can kind of do it in line with the rest of your code mm-hmm. that's a huge advancement sort of in the in the abilities of javascript or web browsers and i the dx of that is really important so i'm I'm a big fan of it
0: well one other thing just going into so if you're writing a greenfield project it it's a little bit different but once you get into the maintenance and adding new features to a complex system and things like that the developer experience becomes much much more important because Mm. you can move more quickly if you can navigate the code well and yep. so adding features to the language that help with developer experience is actually very, it, it's its kind of a critical piece. And it'll save yep. the companies that are using the language a whole bunch of time and money and effort. It'll make the developers happier to write. Anyway, there are a lot of payoffs for it. And That's so if if this allows you to kind of namespace or segment off your code or uh, give you a, a, a better or easier way to think about what. What functionality is there, things like that? Then, in my opinion, it's it's a win. Yeah,
3: I totally agree. So the yeah yeah, I think I think this is it's one of those things where it's such a it's such a small addition. Like we earlier when we were talking about the pipeline operator, it's mm-hmm. it's a small amount of change, but it really significantly changes how JavaScript reads. Um, yeah for for a fairly small. Improvement that you can do with a pipe function, for example, whereas this is also a fairly small change to how JavaScript reads, just kind of the module keyword basically in front of a curly brace block, but it dramatically improves how things that you can do that you could never do before. Which is a mm-hmm. the the cost value or yeah the 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 risk reward uh, ratio there is is really high on this one. I agree. So let's get to the last one. We've mentioned it a bunch of times. It's the emitter proposal, which it's to me, I kind of think of it like all of the operators on observables. So it's, it's basically the ability to wrap values in something that you can then pipe through you can you can you can send the value through a, a set of functions like filter or map or whatever mm-hmm. or you can call that on the you can always access those operators on the emitter object itself i think of it kind of as like a, an observable subject if you're familiar with observables a subject is like a multicast uh, stream plus the pipeline ability that we were talking about earlier plus all of the observable uh, composition uh, operators. Dan, you've, you, you're you excited about this one. What yeah, comments
1: like, comments like I said, like? It, it reads very much like the blog post that I've written about building an iteration library on top of iterators and generators. One of my complaints has been that iteration uh, methods or functions or algorithms like filter and map and reduce and and whatnot are all implemented on top of uh, arrays directly, on the array prototype. So uh, you get them on the built-in array object, but you don't get them on any other type of an object that does provide iterators, uh, like, uh, for example, uh, a map that you can actually loop over the, the values mm-hmm. in the map. So if you actually want to do some, so one of these iteration methods, you actually have to copy everything over into an array and then do it, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. And, and emitters are exactly that. They are a collection of, of iteration methods that can effectively be applied to anything that has an iterator on it. Uh, and that 's exactly what I want that 's the thing that will potentially save iterators and generators from being this sort of an unsuccessful or failed language feature because nobody actually ever really uses them and uh, and that 's why i 'm very much in favor of it and I think that like, like I kind of said that if you take uh, the emitter proposal, couple you know and obviously, like you said. Get get and it actually shows it in. It doesn't use it. It uses a global emitter in the example, but I would very much like to see it as part of a standard library and having these functions being imported actually, and and then you would get all these functions as part of a standard library, very really easy to use, and you could probably also use them to really easily implement observables. So either either you would just use them to implement observables or you would have an observable also as part of a standard library but potentially implemented on top of emitters. So either way, it's it's kind of a win. And like I said, would really like to see it implemented as part of the language, but not as, you know, on a global object, preferably as part of a standard library.
3: Yeah, agree on that point for sure. I will note in again i have to say i'm i'm no expert here so so i'm reading other people's opinions and and sort of trying to understand where they're coming from one of the main one of the main contributors to rxjs has actually opened an issue on this proposal sort of taking issue in a, in a kind way with some of the ways that Emitter compares itself to Observable. And actually, of course, a contributor to RxJS is going to think Observable is the way to go. But they actually claim that Observable is a more primitive uh, implementation than Emitter. And I I'm not going to say that I have an opinion on that. I love observables, so like that's that's where I'm coming from, right? My bias, but I think it would be interesting to read that that issue. It's it's a pretty long mm-hmm. rebuttal of some of the claims in emitter that that uh, observable is the. I, I I uh, don't necessarily yeah. disagree. If everything was being implemented
1: from scratch, if iterators and generators, yeah. if asynchronous iterators and generators did not exist, then obviously implementing them and emitters would be much more complicated than implementing observables but the fact is mm, that yeah. iterate, asynchronous iterators generators do exist and are already a part of the language so the, that mechanism has been implemented already and adding emitters yeah. on top of that is a much mm. thinner thing than building observables from from scratch so so again so sure. again if if asynchronous iterators and generators would not have existed in the language then undoubtedly mm. adding observable would have been
3: much like to wait than adding an emitter sure yeah that makes sense to
0: me makes sense to me
3: I'm excited about this stuff with I, I man the, we keep coming back to the built-in modules the standard library we really need that we need it <laughs> we need a bad and it's yep. I'm sad that it's only a stop I, program, I, I right? totally not, agree it's, and it's, I think mm-hmm. it's it's way yeah. past time I don't know why it's it's taking so long
1: to be honest like I said uh, Chrome has been yeah. the the Chrome people and the V8 people have been playing with it like for years I don't know why it's really taking so long maybe maybe they're just afraid to commit to standard library I don't know
3: it's yeah it would be be terrifying to be like this is what the TC39 committee thinks should be in the standard library that's that would be an anxiety-ridden decision Uh,
1: I would like to mention one more thing I actually kind of mentioned it before when we talked about the partial application and that's the proposal for records and tuples it's stage two it's also been stage to for a long time, so (laughs) we'll see if it actually ever makes it it gets anywhere. It's it's fairly well-known, actually. Basically, the idea is, think about the the syntax that we have for object literals and array literals. You know, all array literals with the square brackets and object literals with the curly brackets, and just then prefix them with the pound or hash character. Uh, So if you prefix an object literal with a hash, it becomes a record if you prefix the the array literal with a hash it becomes known as a tuple and what and the thing about them is that they're immutable that's it it's, it's kind of like they're it's kind of like they're frozen so it's like applying object.freeze on top of an object literal or on top of of uh, an array literal except not exactly because there is another interesting thing about records and tuples is that their definition is also recursive. Because in, uh, a record or a tuple can only contain either primitive values or other records or and tuples. So that means is that not only are they immutable, they are deeply immutable. So you know, with if you just use object freeze, it's it doesn't. Fr- you can still go in. And manipulate the values that are referenced by properties uh, because it's not a deep freeze. There are, there's actually a, a library called deep freeze because that's exactly what it does. It, it, it does a recursive freeze. So records and tuples are immutable, are deeply immutable when they are deep. And that enables really interesting behaviors so for for example you know a lot of uh, we see a lot of cases for example in react with uh, something like uh, the hooks like useState, state that returns multiple values as as array elements it makes sense that this should be a tuple because you never actually want to treat it as an array the fact that it's an array is a technicality now this
0: is a nice to have the fact that hey, Dan, I'm going to stop you for a minute because your sound change sounds like you're talking through a telephone. That's really strange.
1: Uh, I, hopefully, because it's recording locally, then it just works. What can I say?
0: Yeah, I hope so. Um,
1: anyway, so uh, uh, what I was saying... Is that uh, it, in, it enables interesting behaviors. Uh, for example, it enables equality checks. So you can actually uh, have like two tuples, and then use uh, uh, you know three equals to compare them, and it will actually look at the values in the tuple. Again, because it's it's actually mutable, and you don't care about the reference; you just care about the the values that are in there. It's it's really interesting. I'm also slightly on the fence here again because it adds value, but it's a question of whether it adds sufficient value in order to justify the the change, the syntactical change to the language, and whether you know JavaScript really needs to be that uh, functional. Uh, you know, if people want a functional language, maybe they should be using Elm rather than uh, than JavaScript. Uh, it's an interesting question.
3: Right.
1: You know, yeah. but but it's still a really interesting proposal
3: yeah yeah i think i personally don't often struggle with the the mutability of objects and so for me it wouldn't make my day-to-day a lot easier but i do i do totally see the value especially you know especially with the comparison of of things like are these two tuples the same would be very valuable but i think you're right that like is this is this going to dramatically change JavaScript? And I think the proposal talks about libraries like Immutable JS or uh, immer. I think is another one. And I wonder if I wonder how much of those libraries we can remove uh, with this type of thing. I, I, maybe it's all of them, which I guess would be a pretty big win. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Dan, I, th- I, I do. I do agree with Dan. I like the idea of having tuples, and 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 I see the benefits there. A lot of the immutable stuff, it just saves on, you know, memory load and it saves on, you know, it's faster. I mean, there there are certain benefits come from it, but, you know, sometimes it adds complexity. I don't know how heavily it would be used. I think it might wind up being used a whole bunch under the covers for those reasons, but not necessarily used day to day by JavaScript developers.
3: I think it would be really powerful for the communication between i'll use the word apis but the communication between internal things that are that expect some record and then and then send some record because you never want to to accidentally send a mutable object to somewhere have them change it and it be modified in in your code or whatever mm-hmm. so have sending a record in that case and then they can do whatever they want inside their code, but it, always the, trend, the the communication is is immutable, sort of at that at that higher level.
1: People who are into reducers would really like it.
3: <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Anyway, I think that more or less covers the proposals I think that it does. Yeah. Quite a, long, quite a number of proposals. Yeah. By yeah. the way, I don't know if you saw this. I, I will mention one more because I just can't resist. <laughs> if, for those of you who may not recall, there are the reverse and sort methods on arrays, are they modify the object that they invoked on. So uh, that's an unfortunate decision that, again, Brendan Eich made, made back in the day, maybe in order to conserve memory or whatever on those older systems. But when you apply... Sort on an array. It actually sorts the array that you applied it on. It doesn't return a sorted array. Well, actually, it returns a sorted array, but it returns the same array that that right. you passed to it. And the same yeah. with reverse. And and there and there's I don't recall where it is, but there I, it might have been adopted. There's the two reversed and two sorted. That yeah, I think it's been accepted actually. That returned that are immutable they return a sorted array they return a reversed array and i'm really happy to mm. see that and going forward i'll always use that
0: <laughs> nice yeah,
3: yeah the in place stuff is always asking for trouble
0: yeah yeah cuz you don't know what else is referencing it
3: right and i'm trying to i'm trying to find these proposals and i i'm actually having trouble i'm in the i'm in the final of the finalized finished proposals i don't see it dan i remember seeing it somewhere i saw it
1: Oh, here it is. I saw it uh, in, uh, I'll put a link to it here in our own chat. Where's our own chat? I saw it in a blog post by Ah. Axel uh, Rauchmeier. He's like this really Mm. well-known guy about understanding what the language is and where it's going. So it's the ACMA script proposal, change array by copy, four new non-destructive array methods. It includes two reversed, two sorted, two spliced, and another one called with.
3: Which I don't remember what it does. Yep. Yep. I just found the the proposal itself, so there's the link to that as well. I, yeah, that's that's cool stuff. But again, continuing to extend the prototype, and uh, I wonder if I wonder if it would be better to move like have a standard library that does. Yeah.
1: Again, if you look at the emitter proposal, it kind of solves it out of the box.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Hey, folks! If you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Chuck, want to do picks? All right. Well, I was going to say, I think we're overdue for picks. So. I think so. <laughs> anyway, this has been really terrific. We are definitely going to be yeah. splitting it into two episodes. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's been terrific. Talk, love talking with y'all. All right. Well, let's let's make Steve go first. He's been quiet for a little bit.
2: <laughs> so, we'll start actually we'll start and end with the high point of any of these podcast episodes, which are the dad jokes. So, the other day I went to see my doctor and he told me that I was really growing as a person. But what he really said was, "You've gained a bunch of excess weight."
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Highly expected. <laughs>
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of doctors, I know a surgeon that actually puts organs in, he puts organs back in upside down. I said, that's not funny, but he just said it was an inside joke. And then um, I saw a news story recently where a store clerk had fought off an armed robber with a pricing gun. So the police are now looking for a man with a price on his head.
3: (laughs) I like that one.
2: That was good. You know, that's sort of a takeoff. If anybody knows Stephen Wright, he has a classic joke about a crazy lady that lived in his apartment building who tried to hold up a department store with a pricing gun. And she said, give me all your money. I'll mark down everything in the store.
1: (laughs) That's a good one, actually.
2: (laughs) You know, know,
0: Steve, I have a friend who tried to put together uh, a dating app for chickens, but it was really hard for him to get hen's meat. (laughs)
2: All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Do you have any actual picks or should we move on?
2: I guess if those aren't actual picks, then no, I don't have any actual picks.
0: Well, just things that, yeah, anyway. Um, well,
2: I will I will say one, and this is probably going to be a little contentious, but as of today, yesterday was the day that a federal judge rescinded the Biden mask mandate on airlines and for
0: travel. Mm-hmm. So,
2: hallelujah, amen, and everything else.
0: It makes flying I'm more pleasant.
1: All right. Dan. What are your picks? Okay, I have a few. So my first pick is uh, I'm watching Star Trek Picard, and I'm enjoying it. It's a, it's a nice little show. It's not amazing. You know, that's the interesting thing about Star Trek for me. The The premise is almost much greater than the actual execution. <laughs> I'm, I'm always, I always mm-hmm. expect to, to enjoy the, uh, the, the various series much more than I actually do. But there's one particular thing that I especially do like, about Star Trek Picard and I think that's a, previous, a pretty obvious thing and that thing is Sir Patrick Stewart. He is such an amazing actor. Like it's it's astounding to see, you know, how much of a better actor he is than everybody else on the cast. <laughs> um, and it's such a pleasure to watch him act and i ju- I just enjoy you know I would literally just watch him read stuff i don't even need the 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 the, the old, all the things with the spaceships and stuff you know just watching him on screen, especially reprising that role mm-hmm. he's just amazing and i and i love and I love it for just for that so that's
2: yeah, he could read the dictionary if exactly like that, huh? he's
1: such an amazing actor
0: yeah
2: so my wife's a real big fan of that too. She really looks forward to all the Card episodes and she's tried to get me into watching it but I haven't uh, broken
1: down yet. Yeah. So that would be my first pick. My second pick is the great uh, Norm Rosenthal who is actually a past, uh, past guest on our show uh, is doing great work working on the various standards like the HTML standard and uh he's actually managed to in- introduce an in- a really cool new feature into the HTML standard, which is the 103 Early Hint uh, Responses. Basically, it's a mechanism that uh, allows uh, the server, while it's still working on the main response, to send like a sort of a pre-response down to the browser, telling the browser, while you wait, please download this and that resource. So you can kind of, you know, so for example, think about, you know, you need to work to generate the HTML, but you can already inform uh, the client that it should start downloading various, I don't know, images or JavaScript or whatever because it will be needed later on. And I can post, you know, put the the link to the proposal in our show notes, except that, you know, our show notes apparently will have a lot of links in them uh, this time around. So that would be my second pick. And my third pick is the one that I just mention each and every time, just to remember that the war in Ukraine is still ha- going on, still happening. This is so sad, so unfortunate. I really hope that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of worried or concerned that people kind of might start normalizing it because it's just taking so long and it's not ending. It, it just makes me so sad and I really wish that all this suffering
0: would be over.
1: And those would
0: be my three picks. All right, I'm gonna throw out some picks as well. So you mentioned Sir Patrick Stewart And uh, one of my favorite things that he's read is, and I I got this on Audible. It was the Chronicles of Narnia, and they had different actors and actresses reading the different books. And Sir Patrick Stewart reads The Last Battle, which is the final book. And he did a tremendous job. A lot of the other narrators are great, too, but I'm just going to pile on because I've enjoyed that. For me, the best part of Star Trek Picard. Now, I've only seen the first season. I haven't seen the second season yet. The best part of that was just seeing all the other old characters, you know, actors and actresses come back, right? Because that, that was just fun. They have all the callbacks to the old series. For my board game pick this week, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different. This is something I do with my kids. It has board games on it, like Battleship or Reverse or some of these others. It's, it works through the text message function on your phone. It only works on my iPhone. I don't know if it runs on Android or not, but it's called Game Pigeon. And you can actually text somebody a game. And then when you take turns, it texts you back and forth. And so anyway, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's a fun way to play some board games with my kids. And so, yeah, my I tend to play it with my 13-year-old and 15-year-old are the ones that are really into it. So anyway, so that's going to be my board game pick. It's a little bit different. But anyway, so I'm going to shout out about that. And then I'm just trying to think here. There's just so much going on right now. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything else right off the top of my head. So, we'll go ahead and let Thomas go. Thomas, what picks do you have? Sure. I've um I've got a bunch, but I will
3: I'll limit to my top 3 uh with one bonus which is plus 1 to kind of remembering what's going on in Ukraine. As of today, I know this will come out much later, but as of today, I think the fighting has picked up pretty badly in the eastern Donbass region again, which is which is troubling. So, yeah, keeping that in our our minds, Um, I'll also pick my notes for this. For this episode or these episodes. I have tons of links to all the proposals. I have links to prior art. I have links to code examples. And so I'll, those are all published live. And um, that can be sort of a resource here in, in addition to you know, the pics that I don't say out loud. I have this book that has that has kind of been stuck in my brain for a really long time it's it's actually a really old book with a, a few a few updates for more modern times it's called the design of everyday things by don norman i think it's a it's it's not really about programming although i think it's it can be really important to read for for developers because it it kind of helps you understand the phrase you might hear phrases like affordances or signifiers or those kinds of things and those come from essentially this book and it's it's how we it's how we design things that people can use. Um, I think it's a it's a really kind of seminal book on on how design works, um, and I think it's a really important thing. So I'll pick that book. And then my last one is I, I found a I found an article that I that was gave a really great overview of what reactive programming is. It's sort of it's sort of my my passions architecture of programming. So I'll, I'll link to this article called "What Is Reactive Programming" by Kevin Weber. It's on a it's on a, a a blog from a from a company. I think it's a really great overview of reactive programming and why it's such an important uh, paradigm in modern development. But yeah, there's there's lots more links in this, and I'll shout out Dan's pipeline stuff that he's he wrote. Those are I've linked those as well. So that's it for me.
0: All right. If people want to connect with you online, I think you mentioned that you're on Twitter. Um, that's right. Yeah. Do you want to let yeah, people I know mean, where to.
1: I think. To, I and by the way, sure, I have yeah, to I'm say not. that uh, definitely worth the follow. So. If
3: <laughs> well, thanks, Dan. That 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 actually means a ton. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank oh, you for saying. Oh, for that. sure. I I call <laughs> um, it as I see it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. My Twitter account is uh, Rockrest, R O C K E R E S T. And and I will say that's kind of tw- Twitter's. I think this might be a paraphrase of AJ. Twitter's where you go to ha- like have hot takes and be divisive. So so I have a stance on Twitter, and it's and it's it's for certain things. So give me a follow and see what you think, and and I won't be offended if you don't follow if you unfollow me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's probably the best place to see my sort of daily thoughts my sort of the canonical place to find me is is my main website which is just rdl.ph which is my last name without most of the most of the letters so rdl.ph is sort of my landing page but yeah find me on twitter at, at @rockrest r o c k e r e s t and, and I look forward to interacting with you all about how wrong i was that these are the best proposals for TC39
0: sounds good all right, Thank we're so going to go time, ahead and buddy. wrap it up here. And until next time, folks, Max out. Bye. Bye. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.